You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning once again. Uh, it is my pleasure this morning to be able to open up God's Word for you. And if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to 2 Samuel 9. And one of the things that we see in this text is that the coming of Jesus to the earth is not a new thing uh, in the sense of God didn't love the world enough before, and he had to come up with a new act in order to show his love. God has always loved. God has always cared God has always sought to bring others into his presence. But before we get there, I want you to think for a moment about kings. We don't have many in our day and age, uh, but I want you to think about kings because the quality of a king can often be shown or be revealed by what they do when they take their throne. The quality of a king can often be revealed by what they do when they take their throne. And sometimes we see this in uh, football when somebody has won the championship or won a trophy for which they've received great honor, and we see how they treat those around them. Uh, We see how they think of themselves and how they think of others. And perhaps you've seen good examples of people who lift up those who supported them on their journey, and perhaps you've seen poor examples of those who treat everybody around them as lesser because they have not achieved what they have. Or perhaps in your own home as you uh, work Monday through Friday and then you sit down on your throne on Saturday, you know how you treat those around you and how you look at them and what, they, what role they serve in your household or in your family. And perhaps when you sit on your throne and you watch the game, perhaps Maybe your family members know what kind of king you are. But this isn't about you or about me, not exactly. It's about a different king. You see, even in the beginning, after God created the heavens and the earth, after he subdued the chaos of the world that was formless and void, after he fought war against the darkness with the power of his word by creating light and bringing order to all creation, God sat down enthroned over the garden. And what did he do? He gave. He gave Adam and Eve to eat from any tree in the garden save one. And he gave his presence as he walked in the cool of the day. Those things that he had created that had no, nothing to boast of, those things, those people that he had made who had no claim of honor to themselves except what God had given them, He chose to love. In the Near East, in the ancient Near East, uh, when a king took throne, you would be able to tell the kind of king they were going to be by what they would do after they achieved victory. It was a very uh, tumultuous time, you know, uh, 1,400 years before Christ was born, 1,000 B.C., 1050 B.C., when, uh, when Saul took the throne. And the wars that surrounded the ancient Near Eastern Empire were... uh, had a lot of collateral damage. Anytime a king would come to the throne, they would slay all of the armies barring them from their castle. 
and then they would seek out any relatives of the former king. They would send their servants on horseback to find every last one who might have some legitimate claim to the throne, and they would bring them back to the palace, set them before them, and perform capital punishment. This was the way of the day. As everybody in that time would have expected, you would commit a war, you would take over the territory, you would assume the throne, and then you would kill anyone who had any possible legal claim to your throne. And then you would grab a couple of people who were distantly related, and you would bring them to your palace, and you would dress them in fine robes, and you would bring them to your table, and you would say, you can be here because you're not a real threat, and by having you here, I will gain the alliance, the allegiance of everybody else that you control. It was a very political situation. It was strategic, where they would bring others into their court that didn't pose any real threat, and they would set them up as, uh, as, as leaders of various tribes so that the king could have more power and could extend it further. This is, of course, what Saul did. This is, of course, what other kings did. But when we get to David, we see a slightly different story. You see, David comes to the throne, and as he's been pursued by Saul his entire life, the one whom, for whom he played the harp to remove the evil spirits, the one for whom he fought the giant Goliath and slayed him, when David comes to the throne after Saul has died in battle, David has a different attack. He does war. He does commit war against anybody who is trying to kill him. He does commit war against all those who are enemies of God. But when he finally, after years, settles, he looks to his servants in his throne room and he says, is there anyone? In fact, that's how the chapter starts of 2 Samuel verse 9. And David said, verse 1, and David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? And we would assume that David is asking so that he might remove any legitimate claim, so that he might kill them and secure his kingdom. But here are the words that come next. That I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. You may remember the story of David and Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son, or one of them. Saul had many. And he was David's best friend. In fact, they made a covenant together. They said, you are my, basically, blood brother my covenant brother, the one that is with me through thick and through thin, the one that I lean on and depend upon. Jonathan vowed to protect David's life at all costs, and he asked David, if I die, will you at least remember me and my family? Will you take care of and protect us? Will you not kill us like all of the other kings around us do? David vowed along with Jonathan and the covenant formalized, legalized what they held in their hearts as brothers of one another. And when David takes the throne, he says, is there anyone? 
Is there anyone left of Saul's entire family to whom I might be able to show kindness for Jonathan? Is there anyone left of the family of the man who tried to kill me for 30 years of my life so that I can be good to them? I can show loyalty, faithfulness, love. Is there anyone that I can show kindness to? The servants of David say, well, there is a servant. There is someone. David says, bring him here. So in walks a man named Ziba. He's wearing uh, servant clothes, uh, nothing too gaudy, nothing uh, very bright and, and, uh, and powerful, no rings that designate his, uh, his station in life, but a servant named Ziba. And David looks at Ziba, and he says, Ziba, tell me, is there anyone to whom I can show kindness for the sake of Jonathan, the son of Saul? And Ziba, you can imagine him as he sits in the royal chambers, having bowed down to David and probably still on his knees on a lush velvet robe and seeing the palace walls to the side made of stone, looking at David, mighty with a sword, who in fact wields Goliath's sword, the sword of a giant, a man nine feet tall. And as he hardly lifts his eyes to David, he says, there is someone. There is one son of Jonathan. And as he lowers his eyes again, Ziba continues, he is crippled. And perhaps Ziba says this because he's trying to assure David, there's no threat here. Please don't kill the last of my master's household. Or perhaps he is saying, you don't, you don't want to bring him here. I mean, look at these fine halls, these marble pillars. Look at the, the, ro the rug that I am sitting on myself. He wouldn't fit in the palace. If you think that because he's not a threat, you should bring him in here, do not do so. He doesn't belong. Or perhaps he's thinking, if I tell him he's a cripple, then David will have mercy by killing him. And then I can take the whole thing for myself. Whatever Ziba's reasoning was behind his, uh, his explanation, that there is one person, but this person has, have, has broken legs. They cannot walk. Ziba tells David. In fact, if we had read earlier in Samuel, we would have seen that as soon as Jonathan dies, a messenger runs off to tell the whole household of David, or the whole household of Saul and Jonathan. And a five-year-old boy, as old as my sons, a five-year-old boy is picked up by his nursemaid and carried on the shoulders to flee from any death that might come to their house now that the security is gone. And as they are running through the hills and the rocks, the woman trips and drops the five-year-old boy 
as he tumbles down the hills and strikes himself against a rock. He is partially paralyzed. The woman picks up the five-year-old and continues on their way, and she goes off to a distant land to hide, to hide the last son of Jonathan, the last son of Saul, so that there might be some safety for, for those who cannot protect themselves. And so Ziba says, there is one. He is crippled. So David says, where is this son? Where is the son of Jonathan? And Ziba responds truthfully. He's living in the house of the one called Betrayer. Betrayer of the sons of God. This house, the betrayer of the sons of God, resides in a village. You've never heard of it because the village itself is called no word, no thing. And David says, bring that boy to me. You have to wonder if in the heat of the moment or in the, in the, in the, uh, after all that has occurred, after David had his best friend Jonathan, and after Jonathan himself has died, you have to wonder if David knew the boy that Ziba was talking about, his best friend's son. And so the servant goes to gather the boy who lost the use of his legs. It's been many years now. David's fought many battles. He's had to secure his throne. And so you can imagine the boy now grown into a young man, thinking that maybe he has at last lived in invisibility. He has escaped to a place that no one would come searching for. He has escaped to the place of no word and no thing. He has lived in the house of the one called the betrayer. Surely, he is safe here, far away from the king of Jerusalem. And then a servant knocks on the door. As the boy answers, rolling himself or crutching himself over, he sees palace guards. Can you imagine the feeling of his heart sinking? Come with us. They load him into the chariot. Messengers, or rather guards, not often given the authority to speak the king's words themselves, so they ride the entire way in silence, hours upon hours, maybe several days has to cross the Jordan River. And then when he finally reaches the king's palace, he has to crutch himself up the stairs, one step by two. And as he enters into the king's throne room, he sees David mighty on the throne. And he falls down and he says, I am your servant. 
David doesn't even let him get out the words before he shouts, Mephibosheth, the shameful one. Behold, I am your servant, the boy says, now a young man. And David, Mephibosheth, shameful one. You have lived in the place with no name, but I will restore your father's land to you. You have been broken. You have lived in the house of the betrayer of the sons of God. You have turned your back on him or you have lived with those who have. But I will not harm you. Have no fear. You have had to have everything. You have had a hard, hard life. You have been ashamed of everything that you've ever done because you are from the family of the king who was deposed, the one who was rejected, whose coat was torn and said, so I will strip the land away from you. You have been ashamed, but I turn my face to you. Do not fear. I will restore the land of Saul. What's more, you will eat at my table, the table of the king, the one who should kill you, the one to whom all authority has been given in this land, the one who should strike you down. You will sit at my table, and you will eat of my food, and you will be to me not one of shame, but as one of my own sons. So, Mephibosheth says, what am I, a dying dog that you would turn your face upon the one who is shameful, that you would look with favor upon us, you would look with favor upon me. And instead of answering with words, David does with action. He says to his servant Ziba, go and do this thing. The land of Saul is restored to, to Mephibosheth, and you and your sons and your servants, 15 sons and 20 servants, of this head servant, Ziba. You and your sons and your servants will work the ground every day so that Mephibosheth, the one who has been ashamed, might have bread. But don't worry about his bread because he's going to eat at my table. And Ziba says, as you have said, as you have commanded, so it will be done. And Ziba walks out and Mephibosheth is taken into the royal quarters. He's given clothes to wear. He's replaced, they replace his crutches with something that can actually move him along without hurting his underarms. And then every day from then on forward, as Absalom walks in with his luscious golden locks, as Tamar, the beautiful woman with olive skin, struts through the door, as David's mighty sons, the ones who are warriors, good with a bow or good with the sword, walk through. 
Chuck Swindle says, you can hear the crutches as they pad down the hallway. Here comes the shameful one, honored at the king's table, ashamed no more. And as if we might forget, as if we might forget that that Mephibosheth does not deserve everything that has been given to him, the author ends the passage. He says, And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem all of his days, for he always ate at the king's table. Now, he was lame in both his feet. I fear that at Christmas time, many of us look at Jesus in the manger. We see the one who is born, and we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We sing that the kings, three kings, came and paid homage to the true king, Jesus. And many of us look at that baby in the manger, and we are filled with fear or dismay because despite the joy that everybody seems to have at Christmas time, we feel the sorrow and the pain, and we ask ourselves, what kind of king is this? Here in 2 Samuel 9, and more so, as the Bible continues to reveal, we have a king who is not like any other. When you look at the baby born in the manger, Jesus doesn't come and be born in humility so that when he rises to power, he can say, I did it, so can you, now get up. We have a different king. We have the king who was born in the manger so that when he walks to Golgotha, he says, I will carry you on my back. I have been there too. The one who was born in the stable, just as David had been a shepherd, the one who was born in a stable knows what it means to be weak and to be taken advantage of. Our king, the one who, as in an instant, born on a night, in a moment, breathing out his last and saying, it is finished, we have a king who brings a different kind of kingdom. The king Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is not God with us to condemn or judge is God with us to live and to love. He looks at the world and he says, is there anyone? Because to all who do believe, he gives the right to become children of God. And when you look at yourself, we tend to think of ourselves as David, as the king, as the one who sits on the throne after a long week, ordering the house around, if not in our words, at least in our demeanor. But this is something different. You aren't the king on the throne because in your darkest moments or in your most truthful moments, maybe, you know what crutches you bear. You know that you have lived in a land with no name. You have been called the shameful one, at least by your own heart. You have gone far away, 
and lived in the house of those who betrayed the sons of God, you know the depth of your sin. But Christ calls all to himself. Come and sit at my table. Whatever pain or suffering you feel, whatever sorrow or despair you might experience, God is not looking to strike you down. He could have done that from heaven. He came to earth. He came to earth for love, that he might show kindness to you. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.